Um, I have the privilege and honor of opening our word today. Um, so we're going to be reading two passages. The first one is Acts 1, verse 8, which is on page 770 of your pew Bible, which will be at the bottom left of that page. The other verse that we're reading is Acts 10, verse 34 to 43, that is on page 779 of your pew Bible. Again, on the very bottom left is where that starts. As we open the word, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be upon us, that we would read what you need us to read, we would hear what you need us to hear, and we would infer what you need us to infer, O oh Lord. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The next passage, Acts 10, verse 34 to 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the, the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. As Lori mentioned that we are a church that prays, I thought how indeed true that is because before I start message, I would really appreciate a moment of prayer with you. <clears throat> Father God, who are we to hold your holy word in our hands? And who am I to say what you think? But God, I know that your Holy Spirit works in us and through us. And so, Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be present here, that we would hear the words that you need us to hear, that you would sink them deeply into our hearts. And, Father, we are asking for your Holy Spirit to transform and change us and make us more like you in every day and in every way. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's the second Sunday of a brand new year, and for those of you that I haven't had a chance to say Happy New Year to, Happy New Year. I sort of find myself already falling into the same old routines that last year had. 
and I was wondering if there was going to be anything new about this new year at all. But I was having a conversation with some of my friends who spend time at the beginning of the year asking that God would give them a word, a word that they could focus on, a word that they could um, yeah, rely on where God is leading them for the year. Now, I have tried that before, and I never heard a word. And that is kind of disappointing. So I thought, you know what, Lord, I sure would like to hear a word this year. And so I was praying and spending time, and the word that really resonated was the word grow. And I thought, well, that's an interesting word, isn't it? So as I began to pray more about what does grow mean in my life, grow meant that I would have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Grow meant that I would have a deeper uh, desire to go into the Word and find out what is God saying? What does the Word mean and how does it change and transform me? Grow in my relationship with my husband. Grow in relationship with my family and my friends. But one area that I really do want to grow in as well is a little bit more scary, and that is growing in my ability to see an opportunity where there's a chance to share the gospel and to walk into it with no fear. The definition of that is evangelize. Um, I've got a slide up that talks about what you read if you go Google evangelize. This is what it says. Convert or seek to convert someone to Christianity. Notice that it says Christianity. It doesn't say Islam. It doesn't say Mormonism. It says Christianity. So this is ours, people. This is ours. Bring to God, Christ, Jesus, redeem, preach to, act as a missionary, bring into the fold, make someone see the light, seek or make converts among, preach the Christian gospel. And then their tagline of this word, the church's mission is to evangelize and declare the faith. Now that is a scary word, evangelize. How do we do that? What does God say in scripture about evangelizing? And is this something that we all have to do? Like what about the introverts? Is this something an introvert has to do? What about someone who um, doesn't have much knowledge? Is this something that someone without much knowledge has to do? If we decide to change the word evangelize to share my faith story, it becomes a little less scary. Does anyone get a pass from this command? That was a question I was asking myself. Does any of us have a reason why we should not do this? Well, let's go to Acts 10, verse 43. He commanded us. He commanded us to preach or proclaim to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. That's pretty clear. Even the secular world describes what this means by its definition. The church's mission is to evangelize and proclaim the faith. Notice that the only, again, religious group that is mentioned are the Christians. So I was wondering, where does this command come from? Why was this such an important thing, and where in history did this come about? Well, this came about where the disciples were after the resurrection of Jesus. Now imagine, they were chosen by Jesus, they were mentored by Jesus, they had the Last Supper with Jesus, and they grieved his death. 
Now, shortly after his death, they also received what Jesus promised them. He said, I'm going to leave behind an advocate or a helper. And this happened at Pentecost in a spectacular fashion where the Holy Spirit came upon them all. Now, even with all this one-to-one mentoring, that's something we talk a lot about in Bethel, one-to-one mentoring. Well, these disciples had one-to-one mentoring with Jesus. And even with that, they didn't grasp the totality of what he was teaching them. You see, God's intention the whole time was to reach the entire Gentile world through the Jews. And the presence of the Holy Spirit was what empowered them to do that. And yet they weren't even catching on to that. They weren't catching on that they were to start this mission to reach others for Jesus Christ. So we have Peter, the apostle. And he's staying with Simon the Tanner. Now already, this is an issue. Simon the Tanner, anyone who knows what tanning is, is when you take the hides off of dead animals and you do whatever you do with it. I'll ask my hunters later on what you do with tanning hides. Um, Oh, and there is a hunting joke coming up, so be prepared. Now, this is considered a ritually unclean job. So here we have Peter the Apostle staying in a ritually unclean household. And not only that, while he's there, he has a vision three times. And the vision is the same every time. It's the sheets coming down from heaven. And what's inside the sheet? Ritually unclean animals. Three times he hears this command that all hunters want to hear. But a ritually clean Jew like Peter did not want to hear. Acts 10.13, a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now three times this process happens. And each time he reminds God that he's never eaten anything impure or unclean. But God has a bigger message for Peter. He says, don't call anything that I have made clean impure. This is an interesting story. So first, Peter's heart is being softened by staying with Simon the Tanner. And then he sees this vision. God is telling him, there is no longer unclean people. So this is now setting the stage for Cornelius, the centurion, to ask Peter to explain the gospel to him. So in Caesarea, we have Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who gets a dream. An angel says to him, go to Joppa, send someone to Joppa to get Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner, to come over and explain the gospel to you in the household. Now, Peter knew that the laws set the Israelites and the Gentiles apart. They were distinguished by circumcision. They were distinguished by food laws. They were distinguished by festivals. And this sent them apart. Their life was different, and the Israelites' life was ordered by God. The conditions of being separate were no longer necessary because Jesus' death set the Israelite nation free from being rule-bound. And that's when the Gentiles were included. And the Gentiles, that's us. This is a new covenant. The problem was that Peter was forgetting that the covenant is now for everybody, not just for the Jews. The disciples, when they received the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to share the news of Jesus' death on the cross, 
They forgot that it wasn't just for their own community. This is now for the world. So you remember the definition of the world evangelize? The church's mission is to evangelize and declare the faith. The church's mission is to share our faith story and proclaim it to the world. That was Peter's mission. But I wonder if perhaps we aren't in the same trap that Peter was in. He was only sharing his faith with his immediate community, and I wonder if sometimes we get caught there as well. It's scary to talk to people you don't know. It's hard to have people that have absolutely no interest in what you're saying listen to you or have you approach them. It's hard to talk to family that don't believe. What if we're rejected? Worse, what if they ask us a question we totally can't answer? What if we're embarrassed? Do we have that same sense of urgency? Are we being swallowed up by the politically correct thing of just stay to yourself and don't bother the world with what you believe? In Peter's case, the law set him apart from the Gentiles. And I wonder if sometimes we feel a barrier between ourselves and those that just need to have the gospel explained to them. So that's where Peter's at. He's a rule follower, but being with Jesus showed him that certain rules are no longer necessary. And think of this. This is a further fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Remember Abraham, the covenant given to him was that your descendants would number more than the stars? Well, as we are now part of that new covenant, guess what? His descendants number more than the stars. All people now fall under this new covenant that God has with his people. And the grace we find is that God includes us. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, our lives are being transformed. So here's an important point. Peter was looking for what the Lord was doing. Peter was trying to see where God was acting, and he was trying to be in step with it. It's sort of like God giving you a word. When Cornelius' men came to Joppa to get Peter, Peter remembers his visions, and he goes with them. He understands that God shows no partiality. That's where our verse started. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He begins to tell the entire gospel, not only to Cornelius, but to his whole household. Cornelius, a Roman centurion whose job it was to oppress Peter's people. Cornelius, all of his Gentile relatives and friends. The good news of Jesus Christ was to go to a full house, and you can bet there was no Jew in there besides Peter. As a matter of fact, Peter then reminds them all that it was against the law for a Jew to associate with or visit with a Gentile. But he was there because God showed him that there was no more Gentile or Jew. We are one people. Verses 34 and 36 and verse 42. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. The end of the story, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius' household, and it was like a mini Gentile Pentecost. The church's mission is to evangelize and declare the faith. Our job is to share our faith story Those are hard words to ignore. So what does that mean for us? There's a saying that's credited to St. Francis of Assisi, but as I looked more into it, then there was, maybe it wasn't from him, blah, 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 but just go with me. Let's read this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Now, this is not an excuse to not speak. However, it is an important point. It says our witness is beyond more than what we say. Our witness is also what we do. And that's a bit more of an easy one for us to follow, isn't it? Be kind to your neighbors. Obey traffic laws. Tough one for me, so preach into the choir. Return your grocery carts. Hold the door open. Show love in unexpected and quiet ways. God shows no favoritism, but he does show favor. We bear witness to his grace. We bear witness to the power he has to set people free when his Holy Spirit comes in and transforms lives. You can Google how to evangelize, but I want to share a simple acronym that I've been using for quite a while, and it is the word SALT. It's pretty easy. The S in SALT, start a conversation. That means looking for an opportunity and perhaps something as simple as starting a conversation with a cashier or someone who serves you in a restaurant. I found an opportunity to to practice this when I took someone from our congregation to the hospital and you know what that means. That means wait. You're gonna sit there and wait. But that also means the people who are waiting with you are like a captive audience. So this is a perfect opportunity. So I started a conversation with a lady who was across from me. The next letter is A. So S, start a conversation. A, ask a question. So once this lady and I had engaged in small talk for a while, I had already asked her some questions, and she was responding, and I was certainly enjoying our conversation because it was a long wait. I asked her, do you have a faith community or a family that supports you. Very simple way to find out where she was at spiritually. Do you have faith? Are you a spiritual or religious person? Let's move on to the letter L. So start a conversation, ask a question, listen. I cannot cannot express how important this one is. If you are doing all the talking, you are not building a relationship, you're having a monologue. So my suggestion is is you spend a lot of time listening. When you ask a question, maybe there's a follow-up question to ask. This is where you really start to move almost into a relationship with that person. We move on to the final letter, T. Start a conversation, ask a question, listen, tell a story. And this is where, if appropriate, you can share the gospel. 
even if it's something as simple as your own testimony, who you are before you met Christ, or when you began to make a deeper commitment. Now, all of us would love to have the Damascus testimony, something amazing and striking, this, the date and time, I know it. But more of us have more of a Cornelius kind of deal, where we know who God is, but once the gospel is fully explained, we have this, this deeper understanding of who God is and why we want to move into that relationship with him. When I was 19, I attended a, a church retreat. Now, to be very honest, my only reason for going there was because there was guys going, and that's why I went. I was not interested in the sessions. I was not interested in chapel time. I was interested in the guys. But as part of that, I had to go to a chapel session, and I will never forget it. That chapel session was all about living a lukewarm life, and that is where my life was. I had one step in the world and one step in the church. And the conversation became, God's not going to accept lukewarm. He is looking for you to be a believer or not, so make up your mind was a profound, a profound moment for me because I knew without a shadow of a doubt I wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I wanted my life to make a difference in whatever small way. It meant I probably would no longer be the fun one to be with, but I thought that was okay. I'd rather have fun with the Lord. That is my testimony. It is not dramatic. It is not big. But when I share that story... It also causes the other person to begin to think about their life. You don't have to be having a dramatic testimony to make a difference in someone's life. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I like that, that little saying, always be prepared. We all have a hope to share. We all have that moment when we knew Jesus Christ was real. We all have that moment that we knew we had more hope than we had the day before. The church's mission is to evangelize and declare the faith. Our job is to share our faith story and proclaim the, the, the gospel. God's desire is to save all people in all places. And everything God has done from the call of Abraham to the resurrection of Jesus Christ was aimed at that goal. Our task as followers is to be part of that process. When we see God building his body up by adding people of all kinds, our job is to rejoice and welcome, celebrate our unity and diversity, and proclaim together that one Lord Jesus is the world's hope. Acts 10 concludes with something Peter never in his wildest dreams could have imagined. After he baptized Cornelius and his household, Peter is invited to stay with for more than a few days, actually to live with them, these Gentiles. 
to sleep under their non-Jewish roof, to eat at their non-kosher table. And he did. He stayed. The gospel does not show favoritism, but he accepts men and women from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, to, fe to fear him, accept the gospel, and put their trust in Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Before we end the message, I would just ask the band to come forward. The church's mission is to evangelize and declare the faith. We share our faith story. We share our testimony. We share the reason for our hope. This is a call for all of us, regardless of how we go about doing it, whether we do it in a quiet and shy way, whether we do it loudly. We just pray that God gives us the opportunity and he will lead us to it. So my challenge to you this year is to ask you to pray that God would tell you what he's calling you to do this year. Is there someone you need to pray for? Is there someone you need to talk to? Is there someone you need to pray with? When we pray for those that need to know about the gospel, and when in gentleness and love we share our story, the Holy Spirit is free to do his work, which is to convict and to change the lives of those we're talking to. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. That the job of convicting others is not ours, but yours. But Lord, we do ask that you would find us faithful and obedient in sharing your word with a lost and hopeless world. Oh, Father, they need you so badly. And we know the truth and we know the hope. Father, I ask that we would not hoard that to ourselves but that we would be part of world change. We would be part of sharing our gospel. We would be, or sharing your gospel, but part of sharing our hope in who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you, Father. I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you.